you are great at certain things and not great at a whole bunch of other things. And that's the same for everybody here on planet Earth. And understanding how to leverage other people's superpowers is really the mark of an exceptional entrepreneur. This is Three Marketers Walk Into a Podcast, Episode 50. You're listening to Three Marketers Walk Into a Podcast, brought to you by the fine folks at Response Suite. All right, business can be pretty overwhelming, can't it? There can be loads to do, but it really is about simplifying it down and not getting too excited about the detail. Mm-hmm. Hey, this is Rob and Kennedy. Hello. From Response Suite. And we're back once again for the big 5 The big 5 It's off to podcast we go. <laughs> I see what you did there. I knew that, you know, that I'm the singer on the podcast. I can see why that we chose me for that. You can, yeah. I think you should do Hi-Ho, Hi-Ho, It's Off to Where We Go is the next is the next singer song. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll see about it. We'll see about it. We're speaking to James P. Freel today, Rob. We are. Indeed. And uh, James is a coach. He helps coaches and consultants to streamline, simplify, strip back their business. Simplimatize. Simplimatize. So that the whole thing is easier to run, takes less time, takes less thought, takes less effort, which means that you can do a better job of serving your clients. Really looking forward to hearing more about what James has to say. But before we get into that, I want to give a massive heads up to Alan, who left us a lovely review over on Stitcher. I forgot we were on Stitcher. Indeed, we're on there Uber on iTunes and everywhere. Where, where, yeah, where, where are we? Spotify, Deezer, all of them. Our blog, like, we're all over the place, aren't we? So if, if you know, you, you can listen anywhere you want. I realise I'm saying that to you when you're already listening. I appreciate it, but anyway, here's what Alan said. He entitled it of all things, lifesaver. Got my interest, obviously. And he said, entertaining on every episode has been full of useful, relevant information. I would have wasted nearly two hours of my life in a traffic holdup from work, but was able to fill the time usefully by catching up on these podcasts. Great work, guys, and look forward to what's to come. That's from Alan. That was very nice. Thanks from Alan. If you haven't left a review, you can. Yes, and should. Just head over to responsesweet.com slash iTunes if you want to do it there, or if you want to do it on Stitcher or somewhere else, you can. You'll have to dig it out for yourself, though. We'd love you to do that. Obviously, we'll give you a name check if you do it as well. That'd be absolutely wonderful. But before we get into any more of this, we want to go over to the all-important and, can I say... Very increasingly popular, Rob's quote of the week. Yes, because as they say, if rinsing is not repeating, then pendulum is not always swinging. Yep, you see, it really puts it into perspective, that doesn't it? It really, really does. If you are any kind of coach or consultant, by the way, if you've got any kind of application process where people can uh, fill in a short form in order to have a consultation with you or any kind of time with you at all, then you want to make sure that you're only speaking to the people who are not going to be wasting your time, but also the people who you can help the most. And over the past 10 years, Rob and I have really studied what makes some of these application forms really good and really useful and what sort of impacts their usefulness and makes them yes, u- less useful. Yes, useful? Less useful. And we put all of that together into a really tidy place and we're giving it away for free. That's right. We're going to give you all the questions you should ask and the colours there should be and the order you should ask them all in a nice, easily digestible format. Just head over to www.perfectapplicationform.com and you'll be able to download it for free. Completely for free and go and get using that and speak to more people who you can help the most. Okay, so we should probably talk to James P. Friel. Here he is. Massive welcome. James P. Friel is in the Three Marketers house. How are you, man? What's going on, you guys? Really excited to have you here, dude. Look, I'm really excited to talk to you about... You've been doing high-ticket coaching for how long? 
Oh, God. Uh, six, seven years? Okay, six or seven years. And just to give a bit of context to what we're about to share with everyone, can you just tell us a bit about what is it you coach people on? Is it like cauliflower raising or... Yeah, actually, I guess you read that off my intake form. That's exactly yes, what it that is. Was, that was it. Cauliflower raising market that most people aren't aware of. I mean, it's and niche. It is. And that's what everybody tells you, right? You got a niche down. So that's what I did. Cauliflower raising, <laughs> uh, which is much more challenging than you'd expect. Right. You know, with them looking like albino broccoli and everything like that. I know. I mean, it's easy to get confused when you look out the window and you go, what happened to my broccoli? Yeah, exactly. It's all white. Did somebody take bleach to it? Um, so like, there, you know, there's a whole, a whole problem with that. But no, but I, know, also, I know when you've not been doing that, you've managed to squeeze in another niche along, along with the cauliflower raising. What was that? Yeah, that's right. So actually, it's, it's interesting because one of the things that... So I, I used to run a marketing agency uh, after I left my corporate job some time ago. And after I got to a certain point and was um, you know, making money, I was like, oh man, this is great. You know, All you got to do is figure out how to make money and life is going to be amazing. And then you start making money and then you have clients and then you have people that are working for you and you have all these different things. I was like, wait a second. Like, I feel more stuck in my life and in my business now that I'm making money than I actually did before I was making money. Okay. And what I, what I realized was that I didn't have any plan in place for hiring. I didn't have any plan in place for putting systems in place or anything like that. And, uh, and so I, I kind of figured that out for myself and went from, you know, working 70, 80 hour work weeks down to 20, 25 hours. And I just thought I was going to keep growing my, my agency. And then a lot of people started asking me, well, how did you do that? How did you free yourself up? How did you, you know, be able to replace yourself and all these other things? So the main thing that we do now is we help people uh, put systems in place so that they can be liberated from their business and focus on working on their business and not working in the business. Right. And that's what you coach people on now. That's right. Yeah. Okay. In addition to the cauliflower raising. In a, I mean, obviously, you squeeze it in at weekends and, and yeah. bank holidays. So, um, when when you when you say coaching, are you talking about in person coaching? Are you talking one to one? Is this group? Give us a bit of a picture about what that looks like. Yeah, sure. So we've we've done uh, sort of all of that. Now it's mainly uh, virtual. Um, I don't think we really do any in person uh, anymore. So we do one to one, and we also have group coaching. So we have those two programs. Now, I know a lot of people, they get into the idea of coaching. In fact, I've come across a lot of people. I was one of these people a few years ago who starts off by maybe creating and selling sort of group programs, not coaching, literally just selling products or selling, you know, like an eight-week webinar class where they teach some stuff and then that's it. And they say, okay, great. The next logical step for me is to do coaching. And then what happens is they suddenly step into this single, right, if I'm going to charge thousands of dollars, it's probably going to have to be one-on-one. They're probably going to need 15 million hours of my time every week. And then they kind of really try and over-deliver. And I did this and I know lots of people have done it in order to try and like stack up the value just in our own heads, I think, and justify that high price tag. So, I mean, how uh, that obviously doesn't become scalable. So starting, we're going to talk about scaling it in a little while. Starting at the beginning, how does somebody stop and decide, okay, great, this is what I teach and this is how I should put that into a coaching of some description? Well, I think that, you know, the first thing is you've got to, you've got to feel like you can get a legitimate result for somebody, right? I think there's a lot of people out there who are like, Oh, being a coach sounds like a good idea. Mm. And then they look for, you know, they look for clients and like, Hey, I'm a coach. And they're like, well, but what do you do? And how are you going to help me? And so I think that (laughs) before, before you decide to be a coach or before you get into it, you got to be clear on, you know, can I actually deliver the goods with this thing? 
Yeah, there's a lot of coaches who are just like one page ahead of you in the manual, aren't they? You sort of feel <laughs> that, don't you? Yeah, totally. You're like, wait, I just read that book last night too. Are you saying the same thing I just read? <laughs> right. And you're, doing, and you're doing it in Amy Porterfield's voice. What's happening? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's kind of freaky. So, uh, so I think that's, that's the first thing is say, okay, what is the result that I'm going to get for people? And, and that becomes such an important question because I think if, if you cut away all of the things in your mind, like, oh, I got to add all this time, right? Because once you're saying, all right, I want to be a coach, then the only way people are going to pay me thousands and thousands of dollars is if I spend a ton of time with them. And the truth is, no matter, you know, I mean, you guys are very, very good looking gentlemen. Thank you. No matter how I mean, good looking you are, I mean, you know. <laughs> no matter how good looking you are or how much people like you, people don't really want to spend more time with you than they have to spend with you in order to get the result. Right. And I think we make a mistake in uh, linking the amount of time that we spend doing something with the amount of value that we're providing. And those are two completely different things. It's funny that this is actually really, really obvious in the fitness industry, isn't it? If you think about it, if you could get me a six pack and look absolutely ripped and you could do that in like 20 minutes, I will pay you <laughs> way more. Yeah. And if no, you're going to no take chance. two years to do it, right? I mean, that's the value of that is about stripping out and making it lean. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And that was a major shift for me um, a while ago, especially when I started uh, started this, you know, helping people with systems and scaling and growing and everything like that. Uh, one, of the, one of the first people that really asked me for help with this um, was uh, Russell Brunson, who runs a company ClickFunnels. Yeah. And he saw what I was doing. He was like, dude, I need this in my business, like ASAP. I was like, really? Because at that point, I had just thought my problem was being stuck in my business. And I wasn't aware enough that everybody kind of goes through that stage. So he asked me for help. I helped him. I, I like three or four hours, like honestly get a whole bunch of things sorted out with this way of, you know, kind of implementing stuff. And then when I started selling it, I started selling like one-on-one and it was like a six week thing. And we had to go through these like, you know, six, one hour calls each and everything. And I was helping people and I was getting the result, but it wasn't, able to scale. And I felt like, oh man, I'm spending all this time. And then he just looked at me. He's like, why don't you just do what you did for me? Like, If you can help people systemize their business in like three hours, I think mm. they would like that better. Mm. And I was like, really? And he's like, yeah. So I, I did that. And I actually raised my prices when I did that. And that's when things really took off. It was incredible. Really interesting. Okay. So now we're talking about the systems we need to have in place. So whenever you start working with a new client who's who's one of your coaching students, perhaps, when you look at their business, which is the system? Because obviously within a business, there are lots of different systems, aren't there, that we we have to have in place. And the more effective those systems are, the less of a slave to the business, all that good stuff. When you look at a business, which is the system that you most often find is either non-existent or is way less efficient, and it's the one you go for first to have the biggest impact? There's, so there's, um, there's five, five major areas that we look at, marketing, sales, delivery, operations, and finance. Okay. And we help people look at those and say, just real quickly, is it red? Meaning that everything you're doing there is like total manual effort. You get no leverage. Is it yellow? You're starting to get some things in place. You don't have to do quite everything yourself, but you're still really involved. Or is it green where you have a lot of leverage and there's a good system in place, right? So we kind of look at those five areas of the business and then red, yellow, green. 
And just to yeah. clarify something, James, before you go on, uh, sorry to jump in there. When you talk about systems, you, it's easy for us to all think that that means automations. That means like AI mm. and robots and stuff. Does when, Is that what you're talking about? Or are you talking about just having other people do that stuff other than you? Yeah, no, that's, that's a really good question. So I think, and this is why I stayed stuck for as long as I did, because I thought system was all about tech and automation right. and everything. And so that, easy these days to think that, isn't it? I mean, to- totally. Cause everyone's like, Oh, like what system are you running? Well, I'm, I'm running this. Everyone's thing. trying to sell you one. Yo, hey, do you, do you still <laughs> yeah. stand up for yourself? You don't need to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. We have a chair that helps you get off of your ass. So, yeah. you know, the, um, but the truth is the system is a little bit uh, more complex than just the tech. It's, uh, it's people and process and tools. It's those three things. Um, they have to be working together in order to create a functional system. And if you think about it, the more automation you have, the less people heavy things need to be or vice versa, but they all are going to need process and everything's going to need to work towards a common outcome. Mm -hmm. So when I'm talking about system, I'm talking about what are the people process and tools that are put together in an orchestrated way to create a result. So when you look at your clients then and other businesses that you come across, whether you're working with them directly or not, what would you say are the major, not exactly mistakes, but the major things they have in place that are currently creating a bottleneck in the processes that are meaning that they're constantly probably running around putting out fires that were they started yesterday and, and, and slowing them down and stopping this? In other words, the opposite of what you're trying to help businesses to do. What would you say are like the big things that most businesses have in them that are sucking up the time and sucking up the resources and are not making them any more effective? Yeah, so I think there's I think there's a couple a couple things to think about here. So every every single business that we've ever worked with and and uh, seen, in order to get that leverage, in order to get that uh, that scalability in place, there's two sort of two journeys that have to happen. One of them is the external journey that we're talking about here with systems, right? I have to have people and processes and tools and things like that. The other journey that has to happen is more of an internal journey for the entrepreneur to make a shift from being an entrepreneur to being a CEO. And there's different ways of thinking and different behaviors and different habits that have to happen. And, and, it, and a business will never outgrow the capacity of your systems because that's, like, that's how big you can take things. Like that's, how, that's how much you can handle. It's the and size it, of the bucket, isn't it? It is the size of the bucket. And if the bucket is small, like you're only going to be able to pour so much water in before it overflows. 100%. And then on the other side... The business also will never exceed the the maturity and the capacity of the person who's running and leading the organization. Hmm. And so to answer your question, the biggest thing that I see is this sort of hero complex that most entrepreneurs have where they say, well, nobody can do it better than me. I don't trust other people to do it. I'm a control freak and I got to like, I got to stay clamped down on all of this stuff. And they position themselves as the bottleneck inside of that business yeah, and think that that's actually okay. Like they're doing the right thing, but you, you can't grow a business if you're doing everything yourself. You can't. And, and what do you, how do you feel about, and this is pretty high level stuff that we're talking about in, in this episode. So thanks for bringing it to us. The, one of the, what do you think about the idea of, as the entrepreneur, about realizing that you might not be the person to take it to that level? So you might, you might be the guy or the girl who can take it from zero to a million, but if you, are you the guy or girl who can take it from a million to that next stage? Like, sometimes they are very different people. And how, like, do you think that? Or do you, th- how do you feel about that? 
You're absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's going to take a conscious effort. And this is that internal journey that I'm talking about. Some people want to just remain entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs are fire starters. They get things going. They like create a lot of action and everyone's like, oh man, this is a great idea. And it starts gaining momentum. But for you know an entrepreneur, as soon as that thing starts gaining momentum and they start like getting a lot of traction with it, in many cases, they lose interest and they get bored because they're not using their superpower that they're, they're create, you know, their creativity to do it. And so they're like, okay, well, I'm, I'm better as an entrepreneur. And in that case, I should bring in somebody who's more of a CEO and uh, more of a manager and somebody who understands what it takes to take all of those moving pieces and parts and start organizing them and taking them to, to, to the next level. So sometimes you've, you've got to recognize like it's, it's not a good thing or a bad thing, right? I think a lot of people get tripped up in thinking that, oh man, I'm not like, I'm not qualified to be the CEO of my own company. That means something negative about me. Right. It doesn't. It simply means that you are great at certain things and not great at a whole bunch of other things. And that's the same for everybody here on planet Earth. And understanding how to leverage other people's superpowers is really the mark of a, an exceptional entrepreneur. And that's it. And you've got to remember why you're in the damn thing in the first place. Are you in there because you need to be the person leading the leading the business? Or are you there because you have the, all of the shares, all of the majority ownership, and you take most of the money out of it? I mean, and sometimes it's, it's a typical case of the entrepreneurial ego getting in the way of actually achieving what the entrepreneurial ego wants in the first place. Yeah, totally. A hundred percent. And some, and some people can make that transition because they want to. Sure. And that's fine. Like make that transition if that's something that you want to do, but be clear on what your role inside of the business is. And the clearer that you can be on, on that, the easier it's going to be. And the less attachment and ego there will be in bringing in other people who are better at things than, than you. Definitely. Well, this is getting some pretty heady stuff. And I realize this is not teaching you how to write some better ad copy that's going to make more people click on your Facebook ads. But this is really that foundation, that stuff, that's not, not the foundational, but that, that stuff that's going to allow you to figure out where you're going next. We're going to interrupt the heady stuff and get back into some even more heady stuff and hopefully even some more specific system stuff in a moment. But first, we're going to go for this week's amazing custom game for our guests. And we've come up with a really good name uh, of this session. It's for James P. Freel, and it's called For Real or For Fake. <laughs> so here's how it works. We've got a whole bunch of, uh, of statements here. I was going to say facts, but they might not be. A whole bunch of statements. We are going to read them out to you one at a time, and your job is simply to guess whether or not you think they are for real or for fake. Yep. We're going to give you 10 of them, and the first one is this. Walt Disney was afraid of mice. Is that for real or for fake? I'm going to say that's for real. It is for real. All right. There is a breed of chimp called Chimp, Chimp, Chimp. Fake. It is fake. There's actually a gorilla, though, called Gorilla, Gorilla, Gorilla. <laughs> As a side uh, fact for you. Uh, number three, Salvador Dali designed the Chupa Chups logo. Fake. It's for real. Oh, really? There's a thing for you. There you go. The arteries of a blue whale are so big that a human child could actually swim through them. I'll say for real. It is for real. <laughs> this is, uh, Saudi Arabia imports camels from Australia. <laughs> Fake. It's for real. No kidding. Really? That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pigeons mate while airborne. <laughs> for real. 
It's fake, but eagles do. Uh, I really wanted that to be true. <laughs> but eagles, eagles, you've got it. Is that what the Mile High Club is? Uh, uh, <laughs> number seven. A wombat's poo is cube-shaped. Fake. It's for real. <laughs> That's going to make your eyes water. Uh, is a strawberry... Uh, wait, 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 the fact is, a strawberry is a fruit, not a berry. That is true. F- for real. It's fake. It's actually neither. That's a trick question. What is it? Uh, I didn't find Something that fact else. out. I couldn't. Oh, it was, that was in the depths of the internet, and I couldn't get to the bottom of it. There's a lot of discussion. Uh, <laughs> number nine, 25% of human DNA is similar to bananas. Fake. It is fake. It's actually 50%. <laughs> That's 50% wild. Banana. It explains a lot, doesn't That's it? A, I wonder why I lean to the left. Uh, <laughs> number 10, finally. French was the official language of England for almost 300 years. For real. It is for real. So I've got a total of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight out of ten. That's not bad at all. Round of applause. He's the for real deal. Crowd goes wild. <laughs> I can't believe <laughs> I got his. Are you sure that's how many I got? Yeah, pretty sure. Wow. I think so. All right. Well, there you go. Look at that. <laughs> so back to coaching. We're going to yeah, that's right. kicking, kicking and screaming back to the topic. That to I, would, I would like to know about, we're talking about having these processes in place. It's fine designing these processes and sort of scribbling them out on massive whiteboards and stuff. But in terms of how do you actually document these processes, these systems? I mean, basically what you're creating here is your playbook for that thing, right? Yeah. How do you, what does that look like? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you, you do start out at a whiteboard like a lot of things, right? You know, you're building an email campaign or anything else. It's, it's very helpful to start on a whiteboard. So, you know, you got to be clear what, what happens when. And I think that it, an easy way for marketers to understand this stuff is we get, we get so much education and so much practice on building, a, you know, a marketing campaign and a sales funnel and, and an email sequence and everything else. And you're very intentional about thinking through the steps that need to happen in order to get somebody from point A to point B. Right. And it's really the exact same thing, except it's not outward facing. It's okay. It's inward facing. What happens to get somebody from point A to point B? What happens to, you know, when you're like, for example, in high ticket coaching, right? When we're onboarding somebody from the minute they say yes through the time that we deliver the thing, like, what are all the different things that have to happen? And just mapping those things out first and foremost and being really intentional on what those steps are is is so blindingly obvious to say, but most people don't do it. And then every single time somebody new comes in or I close somebody new into my coaching program, I'm like, okay, I got to remember to do this. I got to remember to do this. I got to remember to do all these things. It's like, wait, just just map it out once. And then you, at least you know what the structure is. And so first it's doing all that. Then the second thing we do is uh, we like a tool called Trello. You can use Asana. You can use other tools and things like that. We actually create checklists on what needs to happen at every single stage. And then we have a task so that when somebody comes in, they just go down the checklist and here's all the different things that had to happen. And then we don't have to worry about whether we're doing it the right way or not. Yeah. So you can have all those sort of steps within there and make sure that's like repeatable. And, and that, that, so totally. It's, it's basically, a, it's almost like a color by numbers. Do this, get this outcome. Hey, you don't want to miss out on more of these fabulous nuggets, do you? Make sure you subscribe to the Three Marketers Podcast now on your podcast player. 
This is awesome. And there's a really great thing here for anyone to pull out of this and say, do you know what? If you currently feel like you're stuck and trapped down and sort of chained to the business mm. and you're currently coaching isn't, you, you probably don't get the enjoyment out of doing the coaching because you're so worried about, you know, keeping it all right and making sure clients feel like they've been onboarded properly and keeping everything going. So for somebody who's like chained down by the business, what's the first couple of things they should do in order to start to climb back out of that pit so that they can now look down at the business from a sort of 30,000 foot, foot view? How do they get back to that place? Almost like how do they get back so they can almost start again, if you like, from, from when they're already trapped down? Yeah, it's a good question. I think the biggest place to start is to identify what are the repetitive things that you're doing on an ongoing basis and then go through that process that we just talked about and start getting those things at least mapped out for yourself, but even better, get them mapped out and then have somebody else start doing them, right? Because all of us are guilty of doing the same things over and over and over. Mm. And if you're doing the same thing over and over, first of all, don't, you know, don't try and remember how to do it because that's a waste of your mental energy. Second, even if it's documented and you're doing it over and over, that means it's good enough to be hand up, handed off to somebody else. So we've got to like start unloading these different things that we're doing. And, and the, the biggest place to start is the ones that we're just doing on a regular basis because those are the biggest time wasters then. Yeah. And we talk about the mental energy. It's really important. Look at like stand-up comedians. They write down their act so they can constantly be refining the act and their, their jokes and their material. And it's almost like the same for us entrepreneurs. We should be writing down that process because once it's a written down process, that's when we can start, only when it's written down, can we start identifying, hang on, what happens if they don't click that link to join the webinar? Or what happens if they don't reply? Or what happens if they don't show up to that coaching call? That And we can do all that sort of looking at what happens if and, and see and identifying any spots. So by writing a down document in there, that allows us to make those incremental improvements. So what are the sort of, if, if we're looking at the sort of, maybe I call it like a day in a life or a week in a life, what, what should we be doing? Like if we shouldn't be doing all that repetitive stuff because one of the great things about having a system, like you said, you refine it and refine it. And at response, we do this actually. We talk about if you're not documented into a system, then we consider that you're not doing it. Because if you can't document, document, then you can't also improve and, and grow it. But also the reason we want people to do that within the business is because we know once you've, once that employee, once that member of staff, or once I myself have got to that point where I've taken it and it's working like a beautifully oiled machine, then like you said, we can find somebody else to do that work. I might pass it on to Grace in the office, or we might pass it on to somebody else who can, who can do that task. That's great. But then I'm going to have this chasm, this void of sitting, refreshing <laughs> Instagram, hoping that somebody liked the picture of my chicken. The problem is I get this, I bet there's loads of coaches because I've been in this position. So I bet there's loads of people who are sort of thinking, well, like I, I have to do all this stuff that I'm doing because otherwise I won't make the money that I'm making. Yeah. Whereas actually they could be doing less stuff and making more money. So let's paint a picture for them, if you will, James, of what that day in the life should look like or that week in the life should look like. What is actually realistic in terms of what they should be doing that will allow them to still make the same amount of money or more money than they're making right now. Yeah, and I'll I'll share I'll share a story with you guys that illustrates this point. So uh, when I was in college, I delivered pizza. I was a pizza delivery guy, and I actually I absolutely loved the job. It was like one of my favorite jobs in the world because every time you show up to somebody's house, they're happy to see you. They're like, "Oh my god, the pizza guy's here!" Right? Everyone's usually happy to see the pizza guy, and so this was back and he's in handsome, jeez, <laughs> of course, right? The added benefit. So uh, this is back in the day before you know GPS and smartphones and all this other stuff. And so I had this, I had this map book um, in my car, 
And I would, uh, you know, look at the map book and I would drive around and deliver the pizza and everything like that and listen to audiobooks. And it was just, I just had a blast doing it. And so like, let's just say that one day I woke up and I, I wanted to go back and be a pizza delivery guy, right? And I'm, I'm running multiple companies now and, you know, making good money. And let's just say, you know, on an average, I make a thousand dollars an hour back in the day when I was delivering pizza, I would make maybe 10 bucks an hour. And one Saturday I wake up and I say, Hey, you know what? I want to go and I want to deliver pizza today because I just had the best time doing it. And I miss it. And so I put all of my entrepreneurial ventures on hold for the day and I go deliver pizza. And for 10 hours, I just drive around and have a good time making $10 an hour. At the end of that day, $10 an hour times 10 hours, I made $100, right? But how much did I really make that day? Well, if my capacity as an entrepreneur is to make $1,000 an hour, then I lost a ton of money that day. And it's because during that day, during that ridiculous experiment, I was not doing the things that are the highest and best use of my time. Hmm. And what we get guilty of in, in our businesses is that we don't do those things. And most people think that, oh, if I'm going to hire people and all this other stuff, I'm going to make less money. You're, you're looking at it in, in a way that is not helpful. When you are hiring people, you're not paying them for their time. You are buying back your own. And if you huh. can buy back your own time at a discount, you absolutely have to do that so that you can continue to focus on the highest and best use things that only you can do. And your job should not be being the pizza delivery guy in your business. It's a really cool story. And I guess the, 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 the lesson you can easily pull out of it is do the things that actually put money on the bottom, on the bottom line, make more money, and don't, don't, don't get wrapped up in all of the stuff that actually is just sort of humdrum admin stuff. I think going back to the documenting thing, just as a side note, because we document everything. And it's one of the things that you start to notice when you start to put stuff down into like step one, do this, step two, do this, step three, do this documents is that you start to realize actually there's a lot of stuff here that like really doesn't require any of my particular knowledge any of the skills and the knowledge and the stuff that and the expertise that we that you've worked so hard to acquire whereas actually i could hand this to, to anyone who's diligent and happy to do the work and they're going to do a, a great job of it allowing me to focus on on that superpower so that's really, really it's not saying that i always quote as in the office does this job absolutely positively have to be me if the answer's no it's not uh, as much as possible. So so cool. Now, James, well, we're gonna yeah, so let me let me add one thing to that. Oh, so to sure. make it to make it easy for you to figure out how to do that, because it's like okay, that sounds good, but how do I do it? Literally, take some time and write down the three to five things that you should be doing. Right. So I have on my board JPF responsibilities, and there's five bullets under there. And if I'm ever working on something that's not one of those five bullets, then that's an indication to me that I need to build a system to take care of that and take that off of my plate, right? And so getting clear on what you should do makes it easier for you to understand all of the other things that you need to say no to. So James, where does enjoyment fit into this? So for example, there are things that I just love doing. I know they're not the most productive use of my time. I know that they're not the $1,000 an hour activity, but they're things that I just love doing. They're the reason I got into this in the first place. They're the reason that I'm the, I'm the technician, as Michael Gerber would call it, do they stay on the list or do I have to find a way to get out of the headspace of that, get my heart and emotions out of it so I can just do the $1,000 an hour tasks? No, I think you should take, you should keep the things that you really enjoy because that's the reason that the business got off the ground in the first place. And right. if you are a technician and you're really good at one particular thing, like the problem becomes 
that all of the other things that being great at that one thing generates. So if I'm great at marketing and I love writing sales copy, but my sales copy is so good. Now I'm like inundated with customers. Like I want to make sure that I'm getting rid of all the things that have to deal with the delivery mechanism so that I can get back to the sales copy because that's the real driver of growth. Like that's what got the thing off of the ground. So if there's something that you love, chances are that is part of the magic and part of the secret sauce of growing that business. You need to get all of the other stuff off off of your plate and keep that because that's going to like be the thing that helps to keep growing. Yeah. So for example, uh, here at Response Suite, I'm, one of my things I love doing is keeping people engaged and motivated and I, all the small touches that I can do to make that happen. So if somebody's been away for a few days, I like to be the person organizing what happens when they come back or making the cup of teas. And like, I know it sounds like I've just become, become the tea boy, but actually for me, keeping connected with our staff is critical to me. Whereas obviously the most leverageable thing I should be doing for profit is going out and selling, for example. Maybe. But if you're selling and then you don't have the team that's motivated to deliver and do all those other things, then what good is it, right? And yeah. so I think, there's, I think there's a level of wisdom and judgment that needs to come into play to say, okay, I really like this for a particular reason and here's why I'm doing this, right? And just get clear about it. And don't feel guilty about liking something that isn't like a textbook thing that you should be doing. Mm-hmm. Like go with that because that's part of the reason that you're an entrepreneur and that's one of the things that makes you who you are. Now, James, we're going to interrupt proceedings again for the second game of the episode. This is everybody's favorite. Here's how it works. My colleague Kennedy here. Hello. That's him. He's going to sing a song for you now, but he's going to sing a song in the style of a traditional British pub singer, which means that the words will be indistinguishable. Your job, James, and dear listener at home, is simply to guess what song Kennedy sings. And pitch and pit of hand to be here and disappear and pitch in the beauty. James, any idea? <laughs> I have zero idea. Oh, I thought pretty, that was pretty good was as well. Pretty good. It was pretty good at the beginning. It could it have been terrible. such a team. It was terrible towards the end. Oh. It was. Do you want to take a guess? I, I don't even have a guess. I wouldn't even know where to begin. Oh, right. you'll kick yourself when you hear it. It was the Beatles, Hey Jude. Ah, oh, that was pretty good, actually. <laughs> see? <laughs> In retrospect. In retrospect, now that I can see it, it was amazing. <laughs> We're now going to head into what we lovingly refer to as the quick fire round. So first of all, James, give us a book that you recommend. I love a book called Winning uh, by Jack Welch. Okay. And what's a top success habit you have? Something you do regularly? Meditate. Okay. Mm. Give us a marketer or an entrepreneur that you really look up to. Uh, Russell Brunson. What are your favorite apps that you think are really, uh, really suitable right now? Really important. I love Trello. Trello. Suitable was the wrong word to use there, just everybody. <laughs> I, just, I know that. I'm fully aware. Big important question now. Who do you like more, Redhead Rob or Platinum Kennedy? I, I think uh, I got to go with Kennedy. I'm, I'm sorry, Rob. What? It's the right answer. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, on. Finally, tell everybody, where can we go to find out more about you? Sure. Uh, jamespfreel.com. All the links to that, everything, it's on the show notes that Grace prepared lovingly for you. Links to that coming up in a bit. James, thank you so much for taking some time out to come and spend it with us and the three Mark Does listeners. This has been awesome, dude. Cheers, man. Yeah. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it, especially the song. I'm sorry that I didn't guess it. 
Simplify it. Don't get caught up in the detail, James P. Free, ladies and gentlemen. Do you know what? That was freely, freely good. Oh, really? I went there. Yeah, for real. Is that where you went? <laughs> <laughs> what a great guy. And who knew there was so much money to be made in the cauliflower growing niche? Well, you know, I'm sure somebody's got a blog on it. Somewhere. Somewhere. <laughs> somewhere. Maybe not on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> sort of carve it out in the fields somewhere. Um, probably, more than likely. Of course, if you want to have a look at the show notes, we've put them all together for you. Exactly where, Robert? Just find them at blog.responsesuite.com forward slash zero five zero. Now, I know who you are. You are a terrible person who hasn't left a review of this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. I know who you are. And it's frankly, we put all this work into this thing. We drag guests from all around the world to... Bleat it in your ears about things that are going to make a difference and you haven't bothered to leave us a review. Okay, I'm only kidding. But there's some people who haven't left a review yet. If you're one of the people who has not yet just made a couple of moments to leave a review of our podcast, then please do. Rob has made it really easy because you've put together a special link, haven't you, Rob? Yep, just head over to responsesuite.com slash iTunes to do it there. Or if you're on a different podcast player, well, you'll, you'll know where to do that. Yep, that's it for this week. And we'll be back next week. Bye. Don't miss a thing. thing. Check out the show notes at blog.responsesuite.com.